This is Sports Cutting Edge for ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Here's your host, Lockie Wills. Hello, welcome to Sports Cutting Edge. Thank you very much for your company. We're here for the Australian Sports Technologies Network, ASTN, powering sport through innovation. Check them out, astn.com.au. This is your podcast home of sports technology and another big show for you today. We've got uh, sporting royalty, absolute royalty on. One of Australia's all-time greats, Sherelle McMahon, is on the show. Two-time world champion netballer, two-time Commonwealth Games gold medalist, Australian captain, Australian flag bearer at the Commonwealth Games, six-time premiership player in Super Netball. That is Sherelle McMahon, netball speaking. Now is head of female cricket at Cricket Victoria. Um, Sherelle's just an absolute ripper. A regular on our show, and we're very lucky to have Sherelle. I mean, that's pretty bloody cool, isn't it? Like, uh, to have her on as a regular. So, today is one of those days. Sherelle McMahon on the show. And actually, it's um, a very auspicious uh, situation, too. Sherelle, it's been announced, well, actually, towards the end of last year, just after the last time Sherelle was on the show, has been announced that Sherelle McMahon will be forever immortalized in statue form. Bronze statue of Sherelle is going to go out the front of John Kane Arena in Olympic Boulevard in the city of Melbourne. Now, there are currently 29 male statues of sports stars over the journey in the state of Victoria. So 29 male. There are three uh, racehorse statues as well. Now, Sherelle, it's only going to be the fifth time that a female sports star has been immortalized in statue form. So it's clearly this sort of crazy imbalance there. And so we chat with Sherelle about, you know, the importance of female representation. Um, Sherelle's got this saying, um, and it's widely held too, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So we'll talk to Sherelle about the importance of that female representation, having role models, you know, for young girls coming through, being able to see, you know, these great female uh, athletes and role models, Sherelle, one of those and has been for so long. As well as that, we'll talk from a cricket point of view about the women's side of the game and also the role that uh, sports tech is playing, the increasing role of analytics in women's cricket. As well as that on the show, um, absolute ripper. So Andrew Fagan, who's been at the, the pointy end of sports administration in Australia for the best part of three decades, first with the AIS and then with rugby, with the Brumbies as a general manager, then a CEO. It was only a young man at those early days for him there to take on the big gig. Uh, Then he worked with Rugby Australia and then as CEO with the Adelaide Crows. Fags has now moved into the sports tech space. He started up XT Ventures, which are a venture capital firm really looking to try and drive the future of sports tech, specifically with how sports technology intersects with health and fitness and wellness, e-fitness is, you know, an exploding area of tech. Um, And obviously, you know, the world's collective consciousness around the area of health has never been more profound off the back of this, you know, the horrible time with COVID. People are so much more aware of the importance of health and to be able to have that self-improvement, not only at the elite level, but everyday level. The role that technology can play in that, well, 
you know, it's boundless opportunities. And that's the spot Fags is putting himself and XT Ventures in. So, huge show. Cheryl McMahon, Andrew Fagan coming your way. But first, let's take a look at what's making news. The collection of athlete data in Australian sport needs urgent change, according to an expert group. The Australian Academy of Science, in collaboration with the University of Western Australia, have released a report describing athlete data collection as expansive, invasive and unchecked. The 12-member expert group from across sports science, medicine, law and player rights say urgent action must be taken for the collection, storage and use of personal information in Australian sport. Cricket Australia is getting in on the global NFT craze. Cricket Australia and the Australian Cricketers Association have signed a multi-year licensing deal with the Singapore-based collectibles platform Rario and NFT trading company Block Trust. Digital versions of moments like Steve Waugh's Ashes 100 at the SCG in 2003, Peter Siddle's hat-trick in 2010 and Elise Perry's double ton in 2017 will be available to own and trade. Deloitte have predicted that sport NFTs will generate around $2.7 billion Australian dollars globally this year. This particular deal cut between CA and the Players Association will see both head office and past and present players getting a piece of the financial action. And predictive analytics is playing a starring role in Apple TV's Major League Baseball coverage. It's Apple's first foray into sports streaming. Apple TV are the exclusive home of Friday Night Baseball. Data-driven predictive analytics are being delivered as probability statistics in the bottom right-hand side of the screen, a feature already popular with the fans. That's what's making news. Up next, Andrew Fagan. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge. For ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Andrew Fagan, for the last 30 years, has been one of the leading figures in sports administration in this country, with the AIS for the best part of 10 years. Then, uh, as well, I mean, really, to start as the general manager, worked the way up to CEO of the Brumbies for 11 years, general manager for a short spot uh, with Rugby Australia looking after the national teams, and then at the Adelaide Crows for six years. Fags has now stepped out and created his own venture, XT Ventures, looking to empower the next generation of sports tech stars in Australia, a global investment firm looking at the intersection of sports tech and health, fitness and well-being. Andrew Fagan, welcome to the show. Lucky, it's great to be here with you. Mate, how are you enjoying it? You've stepped out of club land, you know, a place that you occupy for so long, and now you're in this exciting, the new world of sport. What's it like? I'm loving it, um, is the is the short answer, um, for a bunch of reasons. And sometimes you just watch the news and what's happening back in AFL land or professional club land, and you, I sit there and think about how a CEO or a or a board, you know, members having to deal with a particular crisis that they're facing, and you actually appreciate um, not being in that in that public eye quite in the same way. But um, but the other thing that I'm enjoying uh, more in the the positive is is just working with um, you know and speaking with founders of businesses that are looking to you know, to solve problems that are looking to 
you know, scale globally, um, mm. uh, people that are just supremely passionate about, you know, what could be their life mission um, yeah. and who are looking for support to, to help them realise it. So, you know, I'm, I'm loving the conversations that I get to have and, and loving the learning journey that comes along with that because it's, you know, I feel like every day, um, you know, I, I put my head on the pillow knowing more than I did at the at the start of the day and, um, and, and, and feeling like there's a whole sort of purpose you know, to your day that exists above and beyond maybe that of your core business. So it's, um, it's yeah, it's it's been enlightening and and fulfilling, and I look forward to you know continuing for some time. Well, mate, you've stepped in at a great time. I mean, the the global sports tech industry worth fourteen billion US dollars. Um, the expectation is that by twenty twenty six it'll be worth forty billion US dollars. So growing at more than twenty percent each year. Your particular passion, I know, is in that health wellness space, which is something through the last couple of years we've all become so much more aware of. From the uh, National Law Review in the US, speaking about data on athlete health and performance, they say, the advent of wearable technology has created a sports biometrics boom that could soon become a gold rush for players, teams, universities, and companies looking to use or sell biometric data. Fags, is this one of the things where you look at the industry and this health and fitness, it's really on the precipice of something huge? Yeah, I think you're right. And you've you know, quoted some interesting statistics and there's a, and there's a, lot, there's a lot more to, to complement that as well. And, uh, and, look, and we do um, look at our focus sitting across sport, fitness, wellness, and into health. Uh, and they all... You know, if you looked at that on a Venn diagram, you do feel like they all sort of overlap and relate to each other. Um, each of the markets themselves are large and and growing, and and importantly, technology is influencing how all of them operate. Um, now, data is is a is a fuel to I think the growth of each of those sectors, and um, a lot of that sits in the bucket of personalization um, and. And we know that in the traditional way, in, in the sporting sense, and how professional teams operate, and they get you know, really specific data given to them. But but how that begins to trickle down to the everyday exerciser, like mm. you or I, um, is increasingly important because we all we all crave that truly personalised experience now in life, and and ultimately that comes from um, whatever it is that we're interacting with, having a really strong um, and intelligent understanding of who we are and what our choices are, and. Um, that's why things like AI, um, machine learning, uh, form a, a critical part of that because they build that personalization you know, over a, over a period of time. So, um, look, I, I think it's a, and, and that's yeah, and that goes not just not just at the at the athlete and everyday exerciser end, but right through to how we increasingly are looking to take care of ourselves as as individuals. Yeah. And um, you know. I guess it's a little personal story because I've recently moved from Adelaide to Sydney. Um, mm. So, you know, you do a few things in that. You change house, you change, you know, cars, you change whatever you need to do when you change cities. I need to change cars because my, my work had my old one. But yeah. you, uh, one of the things that is, I changed, you know, I changed doctors. Right? So yeah. I've got to find a new doctor. So that obviously, you know, makes sense. And um, But the lack of data that sort of is access, accessed by doctors um, is is surprising, you know. I, I sat there with my, my new doctor, and I was completing all their prescribed forms, and I was sitting there for sort of the verbal consult that he had all the information I've written down, and a lot of it I was. I said to him, I'm, "I've had to attempt to recall 15 years worth of 
operations, muscle yeah. tears, broken bones, physiotherapy visits, injections, various diagnosis, you know, diagnosis, you know, recovery mm -hmm. treatment plans provided by a whole array of doctors, different physios I've gone to, other specialists I've gone to, trainers. Yeah. And as I'm filling it out, I'm looking down. That's before I got to, you know, how much I drink or um, <laughs> how much I really do exercise. Yeah. But I'm looking down as I'm speaking to him at my Garmin watch and my Whoop band and my yeah. iPhone. And I'm going, they hold millions of pieces of health and fitness related data points yeah. that are specific to me. Technology like blockchain provides the ability to store those records securely. But instead, of, and, and he's the expert, not me trying to interpret all the previous medical experts who've told me, you know, what I need, what I've got wrong and what I've had to do. Yeah. Um, so I spent my time trying to remember and interpret that data as best I could. And so I think that, you know, in that space from the, the everyday human who's looking to increasingly control their own health and wellness journey, right up to the elite athlete, data is, is an intelligent data, is going to power a new level of personalization that we are all going to, to benefit from. Gotcha. And are you seeing some interesting products in that space, Faze? You're starting to get across that there might just be someone out there that's got exactly what you want that perhaps you're going to invest in and help take them to another level. Yeah, look, I think I think when you begin to break it up across the, the levels of technology, um, you know, the, the categories of, of sport tech or fitness tech, there's plenty of good examples in, you know, in, in all of them. And obviously there's some big global examples that you can... Um, that people may well be familiar with. And then there's, you know, locally we're seeing some Australian companies looking to challenge, you know, challenge that or get a piece of that market. And, and some of that personalization exists with, um, you know, if you look at the, uh, you know, in, in the athlete performance, or sorry, the connected fitness space, you've got, you know, companies like, um, uh, you know, Tonal or Mirror, you're providing, you know, form guidance, real-time feedback on on you know, how you're exercising, right? So it's actually getting mm -hmm. to, to, to learn you and your body. Um, we've got, uh, yeah, and I think in the health and wellness space in particular, because we're not just talking about physical physical issues here, we're talking about mental, you know, wellness, you know, mm -hmm. um, anxiety is becoming increasingly sort of an issue for us. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I saw a statistic the other day that I think it's about 70% or more of, of Gen Z are, um, so that managing stress is you know, their most important health um, issue. You know, yeah. so and there's a whole bunch of technology you know, providers that can they can work in that space. I've, I've met with I, I won't name them now as they're mm. looking to launch their launch their products, but some early stage companies in the in the um, wellness optimization space that you know is really you know really interesting. Um, and said, I think we've got you know, in the in the connected fitness space, we've got companies like Vitruvia and others who are who are you know, looking to create um, uh, sorry who are already in market with with platforms and, and products that um, provide you know, the, the, that respond to your personal needs. Uh, so look, I, there's a there's a heap there's a heap, and I think it's only going to get um, more prolific over the coming years. And I think we'll see we'll see more advancement in that space in the next five years than I think we've seen in the last 15, and um, which is why we launched this fund at this time. And Faze, take us on the journey of the fund. So what are you looking to achieve and what can you offer 
uh, companies out there. The expertise obviously speaks for itself. 30 years in sports administration in Australia, you've always had a passion for technology. Um, what can you offer? Yeah, well, it's, well let's sort of step back a little bit. So the, the vision of the fund is to you know, really shape the, you know, the future of sport, fitness, wellness and health by investing in this next generation of, of technology companies and you know, their inspirational mm-hmm. founders who are operating you know, in and at the intersection of those sectors. And the, the reason we think now is the right time and that'll lead into sort of why we think that we can add value is uh, there's, a, there's a range of reasons for why now is right. I think sport, fitness, wellness, you know, uh, health, the markets are already large on their own but, mm-hmm. and they're growing. And technology is increasingly influencing um, you know, how they operate. And I think mean, sports tech, you've been in this space for a little while. It, you know, it was considered a niche area. Um, it's absolutely poised or it's at the you know, precipice now, I think, of mass you know, mainstream adoption, leveraging you know, the, the huge dedicated global audiences they have. But these consumer trends that we just you know, touched upon as well in fitness and wellness and, and health. So I think for sport, it's almost... And those sectors is almost like their Napster moment, you know, back in 2000 with, you know, how the music industry was disrupted. Well, I think sports kind of at that point now, um, the crossover market potential is really significant as well. So sport into fitness, you know, into wellness, into health, but also media and entertainment, into aged care and, and those other industries and sectors, which are, again, large. I think that this emerging tech transfer or deep tech transfer into sports wide ranging, so innovations from... Um, you know, artificial intelligence, computer vision, um, immersive reality, you know, block, you know, Web3 blockchain NFTs, IoT, 5G, yeah. uh, you know, into biotech, they all, I think, will continue to find really leading use cases in sport mm-hmm. um, on and off the field and, and into sort of human performance and human optimization in the wellness and health space. Uh, I think the pandemic's accelerated. You know, digital adoption, we've heard about that a lot, but also I've said our desire is as uh, you know, individuals to control our own health and wellness journey um, more than we have before. And you know, active participation in sport now means multiple devices, platforms, you know, wearables, all using technology to create these data points that, that measure, yeah. you know, performance and personalised, you know, um, experiences and the like. So I, I think that, um, well, and the other thing locally, Pretty significant. I almost forgot. It's pretty significant. In we've got the largest sporting event on the planet here yeah. in Becca. So yeah. I forgot about the Olympics. So in 2032, yeah. we got the Olympics. So we got in this country, we've got this, we've got all those macro trends kind of taking place. We've got this event schedule. Um we've got the longest lead time into an Olympics ever, mm. a decade. Um the I actually feel a bit sorry for maybe some people working in the Olympics, but working on it now, they might not be there. Might be someone else working on it by the time they go. I, yeah, I, I hope they still get some free tickets or something. So, yeah. uh, um, but we got the 2022 Women's World Basketball World Cup this year, um, the Women's uh, Football World Cup next year. Mm. Uh, what else we got? The 27 Netball World Cup. We're going to pick up, I think, the 27 Rugby World Cup. Mm. Uh, I probably missed a couple in there as well. I, I think Melbourne's looking like it you know, could well um, host the 26 Commonwealth Games. Yep. Uh, we're we're not going to see that array of decade long events. Sorry, the, the decade of events yeah. like that ever again. I think in you know you're a bit younger than I am, but I'm not going to see it in my lifetime, and and you mm-hmm. you probably won't either in yours. It's it's actually going to be quite extraordinary. And so mm-hmm. 
I think that what, then what we're seeing, just to wrap it all into a bow, is that government's increasingly investing into sports innovation. You know, the Victorian government's put $4 million, you know, um, working with ASTN on the establishment of the Australian Sports Innovation Centre of Excellence. Um, the Queensland government obviously is hosts of the, the 2032 Olympics are increasingly investing. The AOS just recently released a you know, policy platform really targeted sports innovation. So, um, and they're looking at, you know, back when I was at the AOS, you know, the legacy out of these major events is often stadium and, yes, you know, like stadium and facilities. Now yeah. they've, they've got so expensive to, to host them. So now the legacy is jobs, new technology, you know, fa fast tracking technology adoption, creating new companies, you know, promoting these, your, your capability and um, capacity as a country on a global scale to, to, to grow. So, um, so we're seeing glo this global market opportunity, local event focus, sector activity, impact of the pandemic on sort of these consumer trends, all pointing, I think, to the time being now for a thematic fund of this nature. Right? So that's, that's, that's kind of the why. So, um, and so then when I'm, I've been looking at that why for a little while, uh, and then I, I guess as sport does, it often, you know, um, over 30 years, it brings communities together, it brings people together, and it, it brought me together with a, my business partner, a guy called Craig Lambert, who's mm. got significant experience in the startup innovation investment space, mm. um, including the sectors of sport and health. So the fund was actually his vision. He, you know, it, it was when I, you know, pitched it to a mutual colleague. He goes, "You got to, you got to speak to Craig. He's he's talking the same language as you." Um, and so his background said is in innovation. Is through his previous companies and he's invested, I think, in uh, close to 100 early stage companies. Um, he's been running a you know, through a company called Slingshot, a corporate innovation program for the last eight years. Mm. Uh, he's um, so he's really strong investment experience. And for me, it's nearly 30 years in the sports industry where um, I guess, you know, it's, it's a privilege, I guess, I've had to live and breathe the ecosystem, but it's given me a deep understanding of, of athletes, coaches, clubs, broadcasters, leagues, fans, fat, um, and consumers in the non-sport sense. Mm. as well as the role that technology can play. So, so I understand the problems. I've got a pretty good feel for the problems. I've got a pretty good feel for the appetite of the market for the, mm. for the solutions that can solve those problems. And, and so I'm looking to bring that operational knowledge to, to invest in companies to support their growth and um, to both identify them and to, to hopefully make them, make them great and to, to scale globally. So that's the, that's the vision. And um, you know, so we've just launched we're raising our money now. We're on that journey, and and uh, we hope to begin to make investments sort of from mid year. Mate, congratulations on what you're doing yourself and Craig. You know, it takes courage to take a leap of faith to start what you've done, and you're going to take businesses that have got a little idea that they're going to grow and grow, take it onto the world stage, and you and Craig and XT Ventures are helping to breathe life into it and to get them going. Um, for people out there, I know you're talking about sort of that mid year time frame, but for people out there that maybe have an idea, they have a product, they've got a bit of ingenuity, how do they, what's their best path to get in touch with you to try and, you know, the old Shark Tank thing, pitch what they've got and maybe it's the right fit and you guys can go to the races together? What's the best modus operandi? Yeah, look, just to reach out directly to us at xdventures.com or find me on LinkedIn is the, is the best way. And so we've all, you know, we've been, um, 
obviously doing our due diligence on companies now. We're not, you know, we're we're in that game. We've um, spoken to you know a large number. I'd expect that we'll probably speak to three hundred you know companies over the course of you know the next twelve months. Um, you know, based on the you know the level of interest that we've currently got. Um, so just mm-hmm. to reach out to us directly and uh, and said to date, I've I've found those to be inspirational discussions. Is this country's got some really smart founders who get the problems that are there who are developing great solutions right said from from the deep and emerging tech from you know ai and you know really cool immersive technology blockchain um you know related businesses or founder businesses right through to you know some of your more traditional sports tech um as well and um so i'm yeah reach reach out directly and you know we can We'll let them know a little bit more about you know what's important to us um, mm. in those businesses, and you know, it's, none of it's um, none of it's rocket science. We're a venture capital fund, so we want to know um, the problem as they see it, um, how their product you know provides a solution to that problem, how it's going to gain traction, and um, ideally how it can global uh, scale you know on a global basis, and then what role they can see us playing. Apart from the obviously the investment of capital into their business, but what other role that they can see us playing as a as a strategic partner and um, that I've, I've been really buoyed actually said over the last few months as we've been setting this up and, and um, look to you know, and engage with founders that they, they also want help. And I think what there's yeah. not sort of a true thematic fund of this nature in this country. And mm. um, in, in this space, we've seen them, um, we've seen thematic funds have been, you know, more prevalent across other sectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think what we have found is they're really appreciating the fact that when they're chatting to someone, they're chatting to someone who gets their space, um, and which is what we want to bring as a as a strategic partner, someone who truly understands sport, fitness, you know, wellness, and that can bring those strategic insights and you know and and domestic and global connections to the table. Magnificent. Well, from everything you're saying, the time is right. The time is now for people out there that have got an idea that want to try and take it to the global stage. XTVentures.com. Go chat to Fags. You might just make your dreams come true together. Hey, Andrew Fagan, thank you very much for your time. Good on you, Lucky. Appreciate that. You're listening to Sports Cutting Edge. For ASTN, the Australian Sports Technologies Network. Uh, joining us now, two-time world champion netballer and now head of female cricket at Cricket Victoria, Sherelle McMahon. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. How are you going, Lockie? Well, I'm good. So, okay, last time we chatted was just before Christmas and we were talking about Betty Wilson, who's known as the female Don Bradman, absolute gun cricketer back in the 40s Absolutely. and 50s. Yes. And uh, we were talking about how there's a real push to forever immortalise Betty Wilson in statue form. And so hashtag Statue for Betty is a big thing. Angela Pippos, who's a great uh, broadcaster, has been really pushing this. We were talking about that, right? And then two days later, after our interview, I see a news flash on my phone. Herald Sun news flash. <laughs> Australian icon Cheryl McMahon to be immortalized forever in statue form. And I'm like, how good is that? Congratulations. <laughs> so you are being turned into a statue. Congratulations. That is just, it is so richly deserved. That is amazing. You're going to be at the front of John Kane Arena, the home of netball, facing out on Olympic Boulevard. This is only the fifth female to be put into statue form, which itself is a, a real issue we'll, t- we'll touch on. But congratulations. You just must, it must feel amazing. 
Thank you. It was a bit of a strange conversation, um, if I reflect back, kind of talking about uh, Betty and in the back of my mind thinking there's going to be some news surely that's going to be probably weird for me to be having this conversation. But, yeah, I was absolutely thrilled, very shocked, very honoured. Um, and I guess the way, just for a bit of context, the way that came about is Netball Victoria and Rosie King in particular was really driving this. Um, they launched a bit of a campaign on International Women's Day uh, last year uh, around, as you mentioned, this um, statue, once it's done, will be only the fifth uh, woman immortalised in, in bronze here in Victoria, mm. and it's way out of kilter um, as a percentage of, of statues that we've got. So. Um, you know, that that was a big campaign that they went on to to try and begin the conversation and start to, to balance that out a little bit. So yeah. huge amount of work done by them. Um, and, you know, big congratulations to Rosie King and the team at, at Netball Victoria for bringing that forward and, and getting this off the ground. And once they got the statue locked away, um, they've obviously chosen me, which is amazing when I reflect on some of the incredible women who have been involved in netball. So mm -hmm. I take that as a massive, massive honour. Um, and, um, yeah, as you say, it'll be out the front of where I've played a lot of my netball at John Kane Arena there on Olympic Boulevard in the um, in that precinct. Um, so, yeah, it'll be amazing. Apparently they last for about a 1,000 years, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and by that stage, people will be walking past going, who? who? <laughs> hey, they'll still be watching the YouTube clip of you taking that amazing shot right on the buzzer to win the 99 World Cup. That will still be getting played. Don't worry. And for, for people uh, that haven't seen that footage, perhaps too young, that are listening to this 99 World Netball World Cup, Australia playing New Zealand in New Zealand in the final. Sherelle McMahon, just a kid, 21 years old, first time playing in a world championship, has the ball in her hands. There is one second left on the clock. Australia, it's, 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 a, it's a draw. The scores are level. And Sherelle McMahon takes the shot. And literally, you can see the time clock kick tick down from one to zero. Ball goes in, goal scored, and you are the hero. I mean, amazing. And your record is extraordinary. You know, two-time world champion, two-time Commonwealth Games gold medalist. You were a flag bearer for Australia in the Commonwealth Games. Australian captain, uh, 118 games, 2,520 international goals. You know, everyone ran on the field for Buddy the other day, 1,000 goals. You scored 2,520 of them, uh, 20, an average of 21 per test. I mean, your record is extraordinary. Uh, Six-time premiership player in the, you know, super netball. And I love the fact that you won the Sherelle McMahon medal a couple of times when you played for the Vixens <laughs> as the MVP. Before it was called that, though, in my opinion. I don't know. <laughs> I just like taking license with the fact that you won the Sherelle McMahon medal. Um, your record is amazing. Uh, can I just ask, you know, like, so the, the ladies that are already represented in Victoria, Shirley Strickland, Betty Cuthbert, Nova Paris and Taylor Harris. Now, as you're a kid growing up in Barmorm, which is a town in northern Victoria with a population at the minute of 527 people. So as you're growing up there, you'd obviously have, you know, revered the likes of Shirley Strickland, Betty Cuthbert. Like for you now to be in the position where you're the one being, you know, immortalised in statue form, like what, do, how does that make you feel as a kid who grew up loving sport on the inside, deep down, what is that for you? Oh, yeah. And, and it's funny when you look at it like that, you know, like it's funny, it's, it's a strange thing when you're getting 
individual accolades. It's it's almost like it's not quite real. It, I don't know. It's a it's a really strange feeling, and I'm incredibly honoured. And I you know try and take that approach because if I take the approach um, that I kind of have a natural reaction of, it's like what, what, <laughs> why? Um, and it is still that. And you know I did. It's called Bamom. You did a pretty good job of pronouncing that. It's just outside of Echuca and dairy farming community and you know, when I was growing up, we didn't we didn't see women on TV playing sport. We we mm. just didn't. Occasionally, at the you know, you'd see the Olympic Games and maybe some tennis, and just really limited. So it actually wasn't till I was probably you know thirteen or fourteen years old that I'd even seen netball played at that level. So it wasn't mm. until that stage where there was kind of a moment for me, and I remember it watching um, Vicky Wilson um, in a World Cup in '91, and I thought, wow, that. They're amazing and far out. Wouldn't it be awesome if I did that one day? Because sport was just my passion growing up. Mm. Um, and so never underestimate the importance of visibility of, you know, now that we're, we're seeing, you know, the AFLW, uh, we've got WBBL on screens. We've got so much more sport being mm. played by women. So it is, I think it's a real shift from when I was growing up. And, um, you know, I used to, shoot goals in the backyard with my brother and sister and mom and you know our fingers would be nearly snapping off because it'd be <laughs> in the depths of winter and it'd be freezing. but we loved it we absolutely loved it it's what we it's what we lived for hmm. um and you know I, I remember throwing the ball against the wall you know a hundred times each hand and each of the you know, doing my sprints on the oval by myself when I had a training program right in the early days of, of mm. what I was doing. And, you know, the support I had from everyone around was was amazing. You mm. know, my nan would run um, cake stalls and <laughs> um, she was a member of the CWA. So, you know, every, just everyone got behind me and, mm. and helped my family, give myself and my brother and sister lots of opportunities. So, we're, we're very lucky. And, look, you, I kind of extrapolate that out from, you know, that kid who was growing up with absolutely no idea from <laughs> <laughs> Victoria um, about anything in, in elite sport, absolutely no idea. Um, you know, I kind of think, you know, when you're making me do that, think where, I've, where I am now and mm. some of the, the things I'm lucky enough to be involved in is, Oh, no, I would never never have believed it. No one in that community would ever have believed it. So it's it's great. It's very exciting. I've had a lot of help along the way. Oh, and that's I think the thing we love most about you is how humble you are, how modest you are, because like you've it's not nothing to do with luck. It's it's through your your talent and your dedication. Um, and yeah, just just for the re as a 13, 14 year old kid, I used to watch you on the ABC uh, sports panel show <laughs> with Tony Squires and. And just the way you've been such, and this is back in the early 2000s, when yes. women's sport wasn't as prominent in terms of um, mainstream media, but you were always someone who just cut through so well because, you know, you're just such a great ambassador for your sport of netball, but also just for women's sport and for sport in general. So I think, you know, you deserve every accolade you get. Um, all right, now let's flick uh, the focus to cricket. So, yeah, of course, uh, coming up to, what, nine months now in the in the hot seat, head of female cricket at Cricket Victoria, um, this summer that's it's wrapping up uh, for Australia's women's cricket, it's amazing. World Cup win, Ashes, um, just extraordinary. Um, you must be wrapped. You know, Meg Lanning, a Victorian lady and, and the captain, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's um, it's amazing watching them do what they did over in New Zealand. I mean, it... 
I, I don't think they could have been more dominant. I mean, mm. Elisa Healy, what an incredible yeah. record. And, you know, uh, uh, struggling a little bit with form kind of at different times over the past little period. Mm. But, you know, it's a, it's a real mark of a champion, isn't it, to be able mm. to just perform on the big stage when it's needed and, God, did she perform. So, yeah. you know, I think... I look at the Australian cricket program and I think you know, it's absolute world leading in terms of uh, what's put in and around those players. We've got six uh, contracted players with uh, Cricket Australia within our Victorian program, which is really exciting. Three were over there, Elise Perry, Meg Lanning, you mentioned, and, of course, Annabelle Sutherland, mm. who was uh, in her first um, World Cup and, and, you know, loved that experience. A uh, couple, couple who are unfortunately injured at the moment, but you know that program is just going great guns, and and to see them be able to, um, I guess turn turn things around in a way from the last World Cup where England took the chocolates and and be able to really step up and um, perform the way they did. I mean, it's it's easy for me to say sitting back here, but it just there was no one, no other country even close to them, and so I'm, I'm wrapped for them that they were able to get it done on the on the big day. It certainly did. And and even that test match, I mean, it ended in a draw earlier in the year back in Jan, but uh, in Canberra, but came down to literally the last over. You know, all mm. results were, were, were vying. And um, the fact that there was nearly 600,000 people, uh, a peak audience on TV, and that's just people that watch mm. it live. Obviously, so many people catch up these days watching highlights and online and all this sort of stuff. Um, so test match cricket for women, I, mean, I know that's something you're also passionate about. Like there, there's talk that we might not play another test on Australian soil in women's cricket for another four years. I mean, you'd think there needs to be more. It's it's a popular product. Look, it, it, what, what a great match it was. You know, I mm. think that series was incredible. And so to have uh, all the formats of, of the game on display was fantastic. And I, I actually... I think it's a pretty cool way to do it to mix all those formats together and, yeah. and see um, see international cricket played in that way, and and the Test cricket ones just it's just a really interesting conversation, isn't it? Because I think from a purist point of view, uh, there's a huge amount of merit in in exploring ways to let the women play more yeah. uh, of that format. Um, there's just uh, lots lots. Oh, sorry, I've got a call coming through, so no, I'll just. Right. <laughs> to like that. See, that's what happens. That's, that's probably the bloke that needs to do the statue uh, of you. you. Need to get you in for a session to do the sculpting or something. Yeah, let me get me sitting. But you know, it's it's quite complex. I think with where um, women's cricket is going at the moment. I think there there's just been such a huge amount of growth over the past, you know, even five years really, or probably ten years more broadly, and. Mm. You know, we're, we're at a point where um, we've got a great opportunity to take um, take it forward, take it further and, and making the right decisions about so many things, including what the right format is on many fronts is a, is a really interesting one. Hey, now what about from a, uh, a Victorian point of view? So the WNCL has wrapped. Uh, Tassie got it done over South Australia for Victoria. Well, it probably wasn't the summer that, you know, you guys really wanted to have. Um, what sort of programs are you working on, Shaw? Because I know a big passion of yours is like obviously at the Australian level uh, with you know Lanning, uh, Elise Perry, Alyssa Healy, things that just couldn't be better. But uh, in terms of trying to convert kids that are playing cricket in school and enjoying it in the playground, converting women, young women and girls into playing cricket for clubs, associations, I know that's something you're really focused on. Can you tell us what, how you're going about it? 
Yeah, we were actually um, right in the throes of a, a, a big review, I guess, in a way, and, and setting a strategy for um, female cricket right across the organisation. Hmm. Um, and and certainly on the back of the WNCL season, um, you know, I think that there were some real positives and some growth for, for the individual players in a, in a squad, which when you take those six Australian players out, um, is which is a lot more than any other state, which is which is fantastic, a great tick for the development of of cricketers here in Victoria. But it does it's it, it's left a bit of an inexperienced squad, and and that's okay because that's just the um, the 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 kind of cadence of where we're at at the moment. And and for us in reviewing that program, it really is with a mind of. Yes, that success with Victoria is important and it is front of mind, but it absolutely is uh, developing those next wave of players that we can hand on to that Australian program as well. Uh, so it's kind of a two-pronged approach and, and, and that's kind of what we're sitting in there at the elite end. But this strategy that we're looking at really sits right across participation, right from when girls are first linking in with cricket at, at blasters level. So... Um, you know, I think that there's a, a lot of passion about getting involved um, and we're, we're just looking at ways to make sure people have all the right information, the right resources and are supported uh, in the best way possible from a club and association point of view that, you know, that, that attracts the girls coming along at that young age and hopefully retains them right through to, to playing as a, um, in a in a senior program. And, you know, I think that that's the piece that's really exciting and, and we've got a lot of room for growth on and, you know, for, for me sitting in the um, high performance department um, while also having that eye across the rest of the organisation, I mean, I think I want I want women and girls to enjoy playing cricket. I want them to love playing cricket. Um, but I also want those ones who are really talented and have a passion that want to take their cricket further, that the pathway is there and it's really strong and we're preparing them as best we can. Um, so it's it's an exciting bit of work that we're doing. Hey, speaking of which, uh, the Under-19 uh, Championships, uh, mm-hmm. we're right on the eve of it as we are recording this interview. Um, tell us about how, the big role that that plays. I know it's over in Adelaide. I think you're about to get on a plane and go and head over. Um, big thing, big week. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a big part of, um, of, of our program, of our pathway program. Um, we've got an underage, uh, under-16s squad and, and group um, that we train, and then that feeds into the under-19s. Um, and of course, the culmination of that is is this nationals uh, heading over to Adelaide, and um, it, it is such a great opportunity for these players. They're right on that cusp of taking the next step into senior and senior cricket, and hopefully getting contracts at that high level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do already have a couple of players who are sitting within those programs um, who are contracted players, but are, are heading over as well. So, some really great young talent um, that we'll see in the nationals over there, and. It's um, that they'll, uh, Cricket Australia will select um, an Australian squad and from that a team that will go and compete in the Under-19 World Cup for the first time for, for the women. So that's kind of been put on hold, a bit of a hiatus with COVID and a few different things. So that's back on the agenda. And again, another fantastic opportunity for that age group um, who, you know, at the moment that's kind of the age group that are, that are really ready to take that next step and giving them more opportunities to play, more opportunities to compete at that highest level is crucial for them. 
Um, what about uh, from an analysis point of view, Shot? I mean, high performance uh, keeps growing so rapidly. I know you guys are, are looking at, at more ways to be able to drill down. Uh, can you give us a little insight into that? Yeah, I mean, the, that side of things is, is crucial, really, and sport in many ways is taking steps into that. I mean, for us, looking at GPS data is really important. The girls wear that. So, um, you know, for some of the players, particularly, let's say, the fast bowlers, that load that's going through their body and keeping their, them fit and able to continue um, to play and train is crucial. So we're, we're building a body of work around that GPS data and how, how they're training and how to best prepare them. Um, you know, there's lots of things we're looking at with fielding and how you break that down and the performance of the team on, on a really low level. Um, but also, um, you mentioned that analysis side of things. Um, you know, it, it's pretty cool. I've had some conversations with um, a, a few different companies or groups that have a program around how you film people batting, how you film them training, um, how you can make notes. Uh, pin it at certain areas so you compare different different styles or different shots from the same player side by side, um, you know. And I think for me, exploring some of those opportunities um, just to help our coaches um, and upskill our players in a different ways. Uh, another thing that um, I'm really keen to to look at. Mm, very cool, Shreya. Well, hey, I got to let you go. Um, thanks so much for your time. It's a great honor having you on the show. And yeah, just so wrapped for you. Uh, well, from all you're doing with Curry Victoria, but yeah, this statue is um, is very, very cool, Shreya. I can't wait to see it. Um, yeah, you're gonna continue to inspire a lot of young girls as you have done for the last twenty years. So it's very cool, Shreya. Thank you very much for your time. No worries. It's great to chat. Uh, wonderful stuff. Sherelle McMahon there. Wrapping up what has been another big show. Thank you very much for your company here on Sports Cutting Edge. We did it for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. We'll catch you next week. You've been listening to Sports Cutting Edge for the Australian Sports Technologies Network. For more, jump online at astn.com.au.